0: the battleship pretension i am tyler smith i'm david back and thank you for listening david yes how you doing
1: uh getting over a little cold yeah um be able to hear that in my voice uh i blame you and scott yeah Uh, that's definitely who i got it from
0: Uh, (laughs) It was going to hit you eventually. Everyone that I have since getting back from Minnesota, like I thought that I was just bringing something with me. But no, it was here waiting for me as well. (laughs) Everybody I knew was either getting over or was about was getting sick. And so, yeah, it's just the time of year, I
1: guess. But I did mostly recover in time for the Los Angeles Online Film Critics Society Awards ceremony last night. That's right. Yes. Um, Very prestigious. uh, It was prestigious. Um, Luckily, I wasn't presenting this year why you say luckily come because on because i was oh yeah sick or at least you know you can hear in my voice it would have been uh it would have been weird to like be like <laughs> in the winter you know <laughs> here's your award mr tillman um <laughs> that's right uh george tillman director of the hate you give and our fellow columbia college chicago alum of course was in attendance uh yeah it was it was it was a great time uh saw some friends of the show uh, there, like Aaron Newworth and mm-hmm. Terrence Johnson. Uh, yeah, so that was a fun time, but uh, you had something on your mind. I got two things on my mind, oh. David, which is, at late, that's
0: like one and a half more than usual. So, okay, uh, our friend Amy Nicholson okay. recently wrote uh, an article for The Guardian saying that quite possibly, now that we've got 20 years on it, the 1999 might be like the best movie year in, she says in modern movie history. So as I was reading it, I was like, yeah, she's saying what you and I have been saying. And certainly what I have been saying for a long time, I've been the only ones though. Uh, the amount, the amount, the amount of amount of input when I when I say that so people people are like I, oh you're just it's like oh, just because you were seventeen at the times like no I think these movies are objectively good
1: yeah um, I think I um maybe spend too much time with people who um agree with like that already mm. me i don't get a lot of <laughs> at least not on movie stuff i don't get a lot of push pushback actually that's not true because i actually don't talk about movies to a lot of people yeah i
0: guess that yeah i i do try to it's a thing that anytime you say that something is the best anything yes yeah. people are going to say well that's a pretty bold claim and when you say hey this you know when i was i was 17 maybe maybe the most formative uh, year uh, age for a movie lover right. uh these movies came out when I was 17, and coincidentally, I think that's the best movie year. I understand why people will be suspicious, but now I'm not saying that like Amy's late to the party, it's that I've been saying this for a long time. Here's the other thing, okay? But she got there. That's great.
1: Uh, I'm assuming she linked to our episode. <laughs> Uh, well, the the article was shared around a lot on Facebook,
0: and don't you worry, I linked to our episode in the comments quite a bit. Um, so, uh, so that's one thing. But then the other is uh, there's a writer named jared c wilson who wrote i forget what for what website but he wrote a, mo- uh, a an article why called why christian movies are so terrible and that has also been shared around a lot in the in the groups i'm a part of on facebook and um a lot of people are saying like saying oh there's a very well-written article and and oh this is you know sad but true and all that my response see with 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 amy's it's all right how exciting I feel. I feel vindicated after all these years Uh, with this one. It's just like, is this new? It's 2019. I'm not the only, I am not the only one saying this. Did you just stumble on this? Fireproof came out 11 years ago and it just, and it just uh, astonished me that uh, in a way it felt because it's been shared around a lot and people have and nobody met it with this is old news uh Uh, and then finally uh i did i got a notification we we will get notifications if like an article or a podcast is linked in another in another article okay and so i got a notification that one of my more than one lesson episodes was linked to somebody had written a response article to this one uh saying all the reasons why his article is not technically wrong, but completely irrelevant. Um, (laughs) because this is for the exact reason I'm talking about, which is it's not new at all. What was the publication this person wrote? Uh, it was, I mean, it was for a Christian website. It wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't.
1: Yeah. If, if it it someone coming from the outside being like, I guess no one's noticed these movies. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Although at the
0: same time that I would understand a little bit more because they would be talking to people that aren't thinking about it at all. But yeah, in the Christian community, this is not a new when, when the international Christian film festival puts together a a panel last year called why I hate Christian film. And this is a festival devoted to Christian film. That's when you know you haven't hit on anything new. Uh, And so it's just a, So in one case with with Amy, I was like, oh, my gosh, somebody infinitely more legitimate than than I am uh, has has, as, you know, confirmed this thing that I've thought, whereas this one is just like, oh, I'm 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 sickened uh, that it took this guy this long, whereas like uh, I feel you know, I'm excited that I have the same opinion as Amy. Uh, whereas this guy, I just feel like he's some kind of I feel like he's a phony. Junk <laughs> or, exactly. So, uh, so yeah, uh, either way, I'm ahead of my time, David, and that's what this week is all about. <laughs> that's not true. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, okay. But before we get into today's episode specifically, yeah, very um, exciting episode. We should say that this week's episode is brought to you by the Dice Enthusiast Presents podcast, a new series based around a board game that four roommates played for the entirety of 2017. During that year, they were faced with problems like drug dealers moving in with them, mental breakdowns, infidelity, and a suicide attempt. A surprisingly personal podcast, Dice Enthusiast Presents, is a prime example of life happening while you're making other plans or trying to play a game. So go to diceenthusiast.com or click on the ad at Battleshippretension.com to listen. Uh, this episode is also brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a handpicked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, movie's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $8.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Currently available on Mubi are a number of iconic films, including Carol Reed's The Third Man, Alfonso Cuaron's Y Tu Mama Tambien, Andrew, I never know how you say his, his last name,
1: uh, Bajowski. Uh funny ha ha from his, his debut yeah film and now he's gone on to make <laughs> uh one of the best films of the year support the girls which might come up later today oh that's exciting episode. um
0: yeah and he made uh and yeah so this kind of kicked off his career and got people's attention and and as much as uh, we don't like the term it was viewed as like a mumblecore uh film
1: one of the foundational yeah. the seminal mumblecore movies
0: uh and one that. Unlike a number of other, uh, unlike other Mumblecore directors, like he has actually like launched into, I wouldn't say necessarily the full on mainstream, but certainly a much higher profile. Uh, but anyway, so, yeah, you can see where it all started with funny. haha. Uh, there are a number of films by Jean Roche. I don't know if that's how you say it. Uh-huh. Um, I, I don't know if that's how you say it either. But that's how I would say it. Uh, including The Lion Hunters, Little by Little, and Jaguar. These are accompanied by a 2017 documentary about the man himself, Jean Roche, the adventurous filmmaker. So these are just a, ha- a handful of the movies that are available to you on MUBI, and there's a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try MUBI free for a month. Just go to MUBI.com, that's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now, or go to BattleshipPretension.com and click on the MUBI ad on the left-hand side.
1: And I would like to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. You see, tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great, they sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day. Today I was listening to. I, I feel like uh, I, I have to. There are, certain, there are certain bands that people that I, or, or artists, the people that I respect, whose opinions I respect, like. And at a certain point, I just have to throw in the towel and say, I don't think it's for me. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel. Unfortunately, I'm sorry about Lana Del Rey. I just don't get it. Yeah. I feel like, is there something, is there something beneath the surface of, do you listen to Lana
0: Del Rey at all? What I, I'm in a similar situation to you when I've, Jen enjoys Lana Del Rey. Uh, When I've listened, I've thought, yeah, all right. And then that's it's this is fine. I would never go out of my way to listen to it, Um, but it was fine.
1: I mean, yeah, I feel like she's doing a character, which is not necessarily. You know, there are plenty of uh, artists who have a persona and Mm -hmm. she has a persona. But I feel like it's it's just real thin soup. Yeah, I feel like uh, uh, every song sort of gets the same general thing that I feel like other artists have done better. I think there's a lot of melancholy in pop music right now. There's a lot of like we're partying all the time, but it's recognizing that it's very hollow and that we're empty inside. And I feel like it's a very sort of millennial type of yeah. view of the world. Um, but I feel like artists, um, from the weekend to Drake to even in at least one case, Miley Cyrus <laughs> has, I think mm-hmm. done it, um, in a way that was more affecting, uh, to me mm-hmm. than, than Lana Del Rey. But I checked out her new song, which, uh, I was trying to pull up because there's a very uh, hope is a dangerous thing for a woman like me. If you like Lana Del Rey, you like the song. Whatever. It sounded great on my tweaked like, Your earbuds is the point. Yeah. And you can find them at tweaked for a low, low price. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweaked and use the offer code pretension.
0: Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC.
1: Tyler? Yes. Let's get into it, shall we? Okay. This episode kind of kicks off our, our, uh, our 2018 sort of wrap-up, right? I mean, I guess Scott's did. Scott's officially
0: week, kicks it off, but
1: yeah. But ours, I right. mean. And this is an episode that was your idea. We've done it for years now. Yeah, it's been several years. But I think up until last year, I never really had a hand. It was always an episode that made me a little like hesitant. I was like, I'm not sure what I, you know, Hmm. what I'm bringing to the table. And I think last year is when I realized, oh, I can do this as essentially, I can do this with essentially the same approach as our through the cracks episode, which we do in a couple weeks. That's kind of how I approach it. Yeah, only instead of movies, I'm doing. performances or individual contributions this yeah. is our our look at our fa- some of our favorite individual achievements uh, in in film in the year 2018 um but uh yeah this is what i like i i could sit here and say regina king is great in the field street guitar sure and she is She's one of, absolutely one of the best performances of the year but also you're gonna hear that you've already heard that and you're gonna continue yeah. hearing that for the rest of award season so i've decided to uh uh d- the same as I did last year to sort of go for here's some of the great performances or contributions of the year that aren't being nominated or, yeah. or or awarded. I I I usually do that
0: and this year I tried to do that but there are actually a couple categories where I just couldn't help it. Uh and like for example this year for like lead actor uh I feel like the bench is actually kind of shallow um and a lot okay. of the, a lot of the great performances are ones that uh are all that are just they're being talked about and so uh since you know what since I've already started talking about it I'll, we'll just start with that one okay um, <clears throat> and so yeah I'm not I feel like I'm not going to necessarily say anything new here because the movie's been so uh thoroughly discussed but I am going to say that Bradley Cooper in a Star is born is marvelous I mean on so many levels his putting putting aside you know the directorial stuff I want to focus on his performance specifically uh, and because he directed the film, I feel like I mean he's still getting you know the the nominations and the occasional wins and stuff like that but I feel like because he directed the film, people, uh, if they're going to talk about him, they tend to talk about him as a first time director. Uh, But I think it is a phenomenal performance, one that a could have gotten swallowed up by Lady Gaga, because while she is toning down some of her natural performer charisma, uh, he still and even though he is a seasoned movie star at this point, he could have uh, been a little intimidated by her as a stage performer because there are, mm-hmm. because he does not have the best voice in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when he's on stage, uh, he needs to essentially fake it and make it seem like he's been doing this for years. And he does that. But what I like is that he, he also, he doesn't overplay any one thing. Uh, the character is quite tragic. Um, and self-destructive, but he is also tremendously capable of love, uh, not much for himself, but for uh, for other people. And what I like is that he does not telegraph where his character is going to go, which he could have on any number of levels, not the least of which is this is the fourth time this story has been told, and people might already know where his character is going. But, but also he could have just knowing where, what his character eventually does. He could try to sow those seeds throughout every scene before that. So that, so that when it happens, you think, Oh yeah, I could see that. Um, and while he does play a certain sadness and, and melancholy and self hatred, um, it can, it is still a little bit jarring when things do go in that direction. And, but he also, again, he also doesn't play it just consistently sad. He ne- He's incredibly charming and charismatic. And when he is with Lady Gaga, I think they have incredible chemistry. Um, and I really feel like he is at, he's put at ease when she is around. Um, and I think it would have been easy to play this character as just this constant uh, narcissist who's just, con- who's just, perpetually like sucking in everybody around him and then just using them and putting them aside but no I genuinely believe that he Mm -hmm. is in love with this woman and wants nothing but good for her Uh, and it's just it's something of it's a tightrope if you go too far in one direction or another if you go too far in one direction then you it would be jarring, it would be overly jarring to the point where you wouldn't you wouldn't totally believe that this man would do what he eventually does, but if he were to overplay the end, then it, everything throughout would have been overly tragic and fatalistic. Mm-hmm. It's a very in-the-moment performance. Um, I remember I was listening to um, an interview with Sigourney Weaver, and she was talking about the, the Alien films, uh, and she said that the actor reads the script and they know where everything is going. But you, and you shouldn't play that. You need to play this scene right now, not knowing where it's going, knowing where you've been. Sure. But not knowing where you're going, that's the most you can do. And I feel like his performance is so in the moment and so present, uh, that it is, uh, it was incredibly effective for me.
1: Um, (laughs) I'm sorry. I just got a funny text from my wife. Okay, Uh, she sent me a link to Jennifer Gray's Instagram because Jennifer Gray is talking Instagram about the TLC series "90 Day Fiance," which my wife is obsessed with, and which I have uh, watched a lot of. Okay, so um, I was in the middle. I was like, literally, about to like contribute to your very thoughtful analysis of Bradley Cooper's career and then took a look at Jennifer Gray's Instagram of a woman (laughs) on a moped. (laughs) Um, So I'm sorry, but uh, yeah, I think it's a, I'm definitely think it's one of the best performances of, of the year. Uh, I also, I want to ask you about Lady Gaga because we talked about musicians having personas, right? Do you think, at what point do you think, or do you think Lady Gaga will go the, uh, uh, Dwayne Johnson route and eventually just be Stephanie Germanata as an actress or no. will she continue to, will she always be Lady Gaga? I definitely think f-
0: I mean Cher, I think she's going to go the way of of Cher who okay. was in Moonstruck and then acted and had acted before and and after uh, and despite having a fairly successful acting career she is still known as Cher who is bigger than an a, than an actress bigger than a musician she is just herself and right. part of it has to do with having this one
1: name thing yeah. now lady gaga but doesn't they, but she does that's that's have it. a Cher stage is like name her name right she just goes by just her first name whereas yeah. lady gaga i guess it seems weird because i think of lady gaga as the the persona of the pop singer right and so it's weird to think that Lady Gaga is making the acting choices <laughs> as Allie or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, so does that I, mean the lady that Stephanie Germana is Lady Gaga? Like there, is there no more di- distance between the person and the persona anymore? I think it,
0: it remains to be seen the type of parts that she plays in the future. I could see her never acting again, to be honest, this
1: character, this character really fulfills the promise of her acting debut In the Sopranos, right? (laughs) Yes, Uh, but I just don't
0: think that you know. Was she she was in? Was she in burlesque? Uh, I don't know. I
1: think it's Christina Aguilera. I didn't see that.
0: uh, um, I just this is the the type of role for her where she is in her own way a version of her, and I can't see her really just becoming an actress playing these. You know, Hmm. playing. Just a regular. I, know, I, think uh, she she, I think she could. I just don't think she's going to. Oh, I see. but if okay. she if she were to, then I think she has a has that dilemma, which is, am I because Dwayne the Rock Johnson he was a wrestler, then he was a wrestler who acted, and then he realized, I need to just be an actor now, which means putting, even though the, the parts absolutely feel like a wrestler right. doing them, um, he realized, like, I need to fully transition into this other thing. Yeah. I don't think she's ever going to do that. Oh, uh, um, okay. I think she's going to stay a Because I think she's really star. good,
1: and like, but, but I think it'd be funny to, like, if what if they made, like, a new version of the Crucible <laughs> and it says Lady Gaga <laughs> in the credits? Like, that would be funny. That would be strange, yes. Uh, all right, so I feel like we should do this a category at a time. So yes. you, you started with a yourself with actor. You can drive the ship okay. as, as far as which category we do. I was but, planning on it. Uh, I will follow your lead and also do actor. I don't know if I'm cheating here because I don't know. There's an argument. This is a supporting role. Yeah, I think of this as a movie with dual leads, but I'm picking Stephen James from if Beale Street could talk. OK, um, which uh, if I had obviously if you have to pick one, Kiki Lane is the lead um uh, of the movie um and i i i also i also tried not to repeat movies today so i didn't i didn't pick her for actor so i very well could have cuz mm-hmm. she's terrific but also because she has more screen time and she has voiceover narration i feel like not that she's not great but i she she has more to fill in the blanks whereas Stephen james has to keep a lot like act a lot without dialogue mm. not that he doesn't talk but a lot there's a lot that has to go on because i think thematically his character sort of has to um carry the weight of what what Barry Jenkins when i guess uh James Baldwin is trying to say about the the the, the sort of constant tightrope that he as a black man has to be walking mm. um that that he um is on the one hand, a person just like any other person in the world who happens to be in love and needs a job and a place to live and who has all the wants and desires and needs of any other person. But also because of who he is in America, um, he has to always be cautious and that keeps him from being able to be fully himself a lot of the time to the point where you don't always know where the real person starts, you know, and where he's reining himself in um, because he, you know, he can't be seen as too angry. Even if he has a right to be angry, he can't be too boisterous. even if he has a right to be happy um, in, in many cases. That's why one of the most beautiful scenes in the movie is the two of them just, just actually being very very happy in the middle of the street which is mm-hmm. something we haven't we've seen them be so reserved in public for so much of the movie um and then of course i don't know you know the story of the movie you haven't seen it yet right uh no not yet okay um but he's in prison so a lot of the time at least in the present the movie jumps back and forth in time at least in the movies present he's in prison and so a lot of the time he's having to there's another layer of him being himself also being a black man in the system, but then also being the strong husband uh, or actually fiance. They never got a chance to get married before he got uh, arrested fiance, not showing how much prison is destroying him when she comes to visit. There's he, he's, he's playing a character at multiple, uh, multiple levels. Um, And that's why uh, I'll mention a scene that uh, Scott actually mentioned last week. um, The scene between Stephen James and Brian Tyree Henry, uh, which is the closest we get to, because they're just at his home. They're having uh, a couple beers and having a conversation. And it's the closest we get to him actually being able to voice his, uh, his again, wants and desires and fears and hopes and frustrations. Um, It's a, really beautiful scene. Um, but even then he has to be a little cautious because we see that Brian Tyree Henry's character is a little, a little older than him and has also been, uh, fucked over in much the way that Stephen James character is about to be, um, how much it's broken him, uh, and broken his spirit. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very reserved performance in uh, a movie that is often very, um, superficially reserved, even though the movie is actually very, very deep, deeply emotional. Um, so I, yeah, I I'm pointing out Stephen James. Once you watch the movie, which you have to watch the movie, it's I know great. Um, you can tell me whether you not whether or not it's a supporting role. Uh, okay, but I think Regina King and uh, Colin Domingo and, and, and Michael Beach and Anjanou Ellis, but mostly the other two um, as the supporting roles. And I think of the main couple as the lead roles, but it can be, it it can always be tough when you choose to categorize because
0: I didn't say this a couple, uh, last week when we did the movie journal, but upon watching the favorite, that is a movie with either three leads or three supporting performances. Um, like as far as Oscars and and awards, Olivia Coleman is elevated to lead. And then Rachel Vice and Emma Stone are relegated to supporting. If anything,
1: it should be the other way. It's the other way around. But if I had to pick a lead, I'd go with Emma Stone, but it's pretty close.
0: It's Which, really close. Yeah. Because after a certain point, she <laughs> kind of levels off. That's true. And then, and then Rachel Weisz has yeah. the, the bigger journey. That's true. Yeah. And that's one of the th- great things about that script. Uh, but we're not here to talk about that. Um, we are here to talk about cinematography. Oh, fun. Um, so, yeah, my choice is a film that... I think just because it was Netflix and because because it was just uh, such a strangely structured film, people just don't talk about it very much in regards to awards. But I will say that uh, Bruno Delbanel's cinematography for The Ballad of Buster Scruggs...
1: Well, what's one I haven't seen. is Yeah. I,
0: I, oh, my gosh. It's... He's quickly become, for the last several years. He's becoming one of my favorite cinematographers. There aren't many who I actually know by name. He's yeah. one of them, and I think it was it probably started with Inside Lewin Davis for me. He'd been okay. around for a long but even, time, uh, yeah,
1: because he did Amelie and the yeah. Cats Meow back when we were in film yeah, school. He's been around for a long time, yeah, and um, then he did the Half Blood Prince, right?
0: Uh, yes, he did? yes, yeah. uh, and in retrospect, you can absolutely tell. I think it's maybe the, the most gorgeous of the of the the bunch but um but with ballad of buster scruggs he has to shoot six different films all of them western and you know obviously there's a directorial decision as well but they the films don't all look the same and they shouldn't each one while officially being a western. One of them has a musical quality. One of them is is more uh, comedic. One is more uh, naturalistic in a lot of ways. One is is vaguely supernatural. One is romanticized. It's it's just really interesting to see these different tones, and of course that would have an impact on the the look of the films, um, and the the scene uh, the 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 film in which Tom Waits is a prospector pr- pretty much by himself just uh, trying to find the the pocket of gold that is going to make him rich uh, and it's just it's a very there's a there's a procedure to it and it really focuses on that and so it's not overly stylized but in the final uh, film you just have five people on a stagecoach. Uh, and it is quickly going from day to night and the, but it also feels very, it feels extremely stagey in a lot of ways, uh, both in the stagecoach and when they arrive and it is shot in a way that is almost like a color version of night of the hunter, uh, where once it turns to night, honestly, actually I said, night of the hunter i'll go back even further once it turns to night it looks like a hand-dipped silent film uh, uh like oh. when it when it, like yeah, goes I, to when it goes I, tonight
1: i had a reaction that you saw is i read an interview with him in which he specifically referenced night of the hunter oh really uh, for that
0: yeah, yeah uh, i mean it definitely yeah. if if you do see the film you'll definitely see what he's talking about uh and what i'm talking about especially when they arrive in the town i guess i don't know okay. where the
1: structures look a lot like yeah, the, the
0: barn it. um it's kind Brothers movie I no, uh, like there's it.
1: a number of uh, um, it's the same thing with Other Side of the Wind because it's on Netflix I'm like it's not going anywhere yeah I'll get to it
0: for the same reason you know got this big stack of screeners uh, it's less pressing yeah. you know look the Statue of Liberty is right here in my living room <laughs> I'm not going to visit it yeah. uh, and so
1: but so, I, I should send you that if I can find I can't remember if it was with uh, Sight and Sound or something that interview okay. with Bruno Double NL was really great you about, uh, yeah like, I have no doubt. brothers he talks about like learning everything about the genres they're working in and then intentionally sort of forgetting it when you get there. Yeah. And he talks about the Coen brothers being on the one hand, (coughs) knowing, knowing exactly what they want, but also, uh, trusting his cinematographer enough to say, I don't think this shot works. And they'll be like, Great else yeah that's yeah,
0: really fascinating. that's i was listening to an interview with tim blake nelson in which he said that as an actor he feels very much the same way they know exactly what they want you don't want to disappoint them but they allow a general spirit of uh collaboration wow. and so so each film visually looks just right but and I don't know how this is possible. Maybe just because you're watching the movie, and and I, something that I've realized that as a film goer is that I have a tendency to just kind of accept the reality that I'm presented with uh, when I'm watching a movie. Um, there are times when a, when I've been watching a movie with uh, our friend Jason, and he goes, "Yeah," he goes, "I don't understand why this character did this," and I and often for me the fact that a character is doing something is sometimes enough. And it was like, Oh, well they're just doing it. You know, why does anybody do anything? Um, and in the same way, uh, these, these six films, they all look very different from one another, but to me, they all do feel consistent because the idea is these are all stories in one book. And so they have to have a unique flavor, but they do need to feel like they are all one unit, each contributing a different thing to the larger whole. And I think he accomplishes that. Each, each film individually is gorgeous. And then together it's, (laughs) this might sound uh, negative. It feels like, Oh, just the most beautiful cinematographer reel a person could ever put together.
1: (laughs) Um, All right. For cinematography, I picked one that I, I sometimes I um, despair at uh, I know awards don't really matter at all but sometimes I do get annoyed when it comes to cinematography awards that it just seems to be like the cinematography that is the most noticeable you know what I mean yeah yeah and I want to talk about a movie that uses cinematography in a in a, in a formalistic way to, that actually comments on the movie and enriches the experience. And um, I forgot to write on the cinematographer's name. But the movie I'm talking about is Eighth Grade. Okay. Uh, which is a movie that is about someone who spends so much of her time and energy looking at a computer, mm-hmm. looking at a phone or computer screen or talking into, because she makes these these vlogs, um, uh, Andrew Wade, I think is his name. Um, anyway, uh, and so there's clearly a conscious choice to go the other way with the cinematography by using wide angle lenses, using optical zooms, using these very, very rich colors and making in much the way that Anna Meredith's beautiful score, um, and rousing score for eighth grade does it 's so much bigger mm. than a youtube video you know what it's oh, yeah. it 's really drawing a line between this is this is a movie or you know between this is a vlog and and saying no what you 're watching is a movie interview or, or what you 're watching is has depth is a real is is real life mm-hmm. um and i I think uh, as unbelievable as the Screenplay and especially the performances are in in eighth grade the cinematography and the music um, it really wouldn't be the same movie uh, without um, the choice to to take something seemingly very small and intentionally treat it as something big and filmic and grand in some ways
0: well and there's that wonderful shot uh, at the pool party uh, where you I don't remember if it's just one big pull uh you know pull back, but you ha we're focusing in on this this young woman, uh and then as the camera pulls back we see how small she feels oh, in the yeah, midst yeah, yeah. in the midst of all of these people that are infinitely or it would seem infinitely more comfortable in that uh environment. Yeah yeah um she literally gets smaller visually yeah
1: that's a great that's a great point um the pool party scene in general because even before that you've got her walk from the bathroom to the door and you've got one of my favorite shots in the movie which is just her looking through the glass like yeah working up the courage to go out onto the pool party and then there's a great use of music too because the music is really building at that point yeah and the second she opens that sliding glass door like and the music just stops yeah uh so great So great. God, that would be so great. All right, what's next?
0: Next, uh, we're going to jump back into acting. We're going to do Supporting Actress. And my choice is Dolly Wells for Can You Ever Forgive Me? Um, Oh, God, yeah. Damn. Like, okay, because the film is about a number of things, but I would say um, one of its core issues or themes or whatever we want to say is, uh, an intense loneliness. Um, we get Lee Israel who is, she seems somewhat content in her own loneliness, but even that breaks a little bit here and there. Richard E Grant, same thing, but both of these characters are kind of bigger than life. And so they're, they're, lo- they're able to cover their loneliness with just these big personalities. Mm-hmm what i love about the dolly wells character uh both how she is written and, and specifically how she's played is when we see her we see the more run of the mill loneliness which can be Tremendously heartbreaking um, because it it comes with especially in this world where you have so many people focused on what on reading, which is so there's already like an inherent silence in their lives, and just the way that she carries herself, there's such a such a sadness um, in her performance. But it's it's unforced; it's just kind of there. She inherited this bookshop, doesn't feel particularly passionate about it, but probably find some level of stability in it and i I find myself wanting to comfort her character i want to i want to give her a big hug and say it's going to be okay but she's not despairing i don't feel like she's on the brink of suicide or something like that she's just lonely Uh and just sad and when she sees lee who is also a big personality she sees somebody who um who seemingly has a similar is in a similar situation has similar interests uh and i think there's a, a potential here's the thing you could come away from their they have a dinner together you could come away from that and say oh there's definitely a romantic thing or not it's It's just two people who are so very alone (laughs) and have found somebody. Um, I think it probably is romantic, but what I like is that even I think the connection that the, that these two people feel might be even deeper than that. It's the recognition. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of talking at the moment about, about the way the character is written, but the way she's played just this very unforced, such a pleasant demeanor and when you when she sees this letter just the she feels this bit of excitement this is not somebody who feels a lot of excitement and she seems so pleasantly surprised that something has come into her life yeah uh that is rare um and it's just it's a heartbreaking performance precisely because she's not trying to be heartbreaking she just exists and you realize that like, and, and you get this with, with like the Steven Spinella character, the various people that they interact with, you kind of get this feeling from all of them, but
1: hers is the most developed. Hers more so. And he, cause I actually wanted to point out Steven Spinella is one of the <coughs> examples I was going to use. One of the things I love about can you ever forgive me, which I really do love it, um, is that it doesn't ask. It doesn't make apologies for its lead character yeah. or ask you you know, it doesn't I was gonna say ask you to forgive her, that would be a little on the nose. Um it doesn't ask you to excuse what she's done, which is not ethical right. at all. But also, if it weren't for Dolly Wells' character, look at the other people that she comes into contact with in her world, Steven Spinella, Ben Falcone, Jane Curtin, like all of them are kind of like Yeah, she lies to them, but there's a, if it were just them, you could be like, eh, this this world is or then the case of Ben Falcone's, ben Falcone's character, the yeah. guy's a piece of shit. Yeah. And the other one's like, they're such blowhards, you know? I
0: feel like Stephen Spinella is, isn't
1: is quite Sure, that. it's not a black and white thing. Yeah. But but um, Dolly Wells' character is the one that you're really like, oh, when her lies come to light, yeah, this is gonna hurt. And that's
0: the thing, is it's this feeling of, with her, it, she's not gonna get in any trouble. She was just, it's more just... You kind of get the impression she's been hurt enough by life, and just the fact that someone told her something that isn't true, and she believed it, and now she probably feels kind of dumb, and just right, like yeah. I, I want to. Well, that's what I mean. Like I want to comfort her. I want. She's somebody that I want to protect because I feel like she is wounded, and 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 certainly the and and lee is not happy that this has come to light and and does not want to hurt this 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 woman but uh but we the audience i do feel like if it weren't for that character both again the way she's written and the way she's played if it weren't for her i do feel like the film in general might be at just the slightest bit of emotional distance partially because that's how lee israel uh Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. um but she really provides a a not necessarily a moral center, but an emotional center to the film that, um, I don't think we realized we need, uh, and it, her performances in the midst of, you know, these two really big, fun performances, uh, hers was, uh, a wonderful surprise.
1: All right. Um, um, so my pick for supporting actress is Sheila Vand for the movie, we, the animals, uh, Sheila Vand, um, made a bit of a splash. If you, years back when she starred in a girl walks home alone at night, mm-hmm. the, uh, Iranian vampire movie, but shot in Taft, California. That's right. Uh, did you see that? No, I don't know why you didn't see it. It's right up your alley. It's, um, hey, that
0: was my whole childhood, you know, yeah. like, uh, I don't need to see a movie for that.
1: <laughs> um, so she was the vampire in, in that. And she was, uh, um, I always feel like such a dummy whenever I talk about performers, uh, or talk about actors, because I don't really know what I'm talking about but sometimes it it feels so superficial to be like oh she was one way in this movie and she's totally different in this other movie it's like yeah that's acting but sometimes it really does help to yeah. to really solidify um, how talented a person is because in A Girl Walks on the at Night she's completely self-assured she barely even has to talk in the movie she's in complete control um, of everything in We the Animals she plays the uh, mother to the main boy and, and, his, and his brothers um, and she is a um, uh, repeated victim of domestic abuse at the hands of their um, sometimes present and sometimes not uh, father um, played by Raul Castillo. He's really good too. Um, and uh, uh, I, I guess the movie is so subjectively from the youngest boy's point of view Um, that it doesn't, the movie never tells you how to feel about the mom. Mm -hmm. You see how the boy feels and then of course we being adults maybe pick up on things um, that uh, that he doesn't um, or at least doesn't (coughs) consciously pick up on I think part of the point of the movie is that he's a very sensitive and attentive and intelligent boy and he's probably learning more than anyone realizes he is, even if he can't even realize what he's processing. Um, And so uh, I guess it's a lot to ask uh, an actress to, to carry so much uh, to literally carry a family um, for large parts of the film when the father's gone. um, But out of the corner of the camera's eye a lot of the time. Uh, But it's a, a a really, really sympathetic uh, and moving performance, but also not um, entirely, You know, she's not a great mom either, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think uh, I like that the movie is willing to like not just reduce her to being a victim of domestic abuse. She's also, uh, you know, she's a little quick to anger with the boys herself and maybe um, unfortunately a little too willing to prioritize her um, her husband over her her kids at, at other times uh it's a yeah really really complex um and affecting performance all right we're gonna jump over to
0: screenplay now uh this is not original or adapted it's just whichever yeah kind of screenplay jumped out at us uh this is like bradley cooper i've picked one that is already getting a lot of buzz okay. uh and that is paul schrader's script for first
1: reformed um so you went original i went adapted okay
0: uh, I will almost always go with Paul Schrader uh, to be honest um, he's just one of those guys as a director but especially as a writer that so much of the stuff in, that interests him is right in my sweet spot uh, and First Reformed is is right there um, and I think one of the One of the things that strikes me about Paul Schrader as a writer is that even when he's writing characters that are extremely unlikable or have views and opinions um, that are frustrating certainly if they're leads and I'd say even supporting, you know, there will be characters that show up maybe for one or two scenes and they are kind of the, the villains and he does not feel the need to overly sympathize with them. But, um, he does find the humanity in all of his characters. I think he finds something to sympathize with in all of his characters. Uh, and in this case, so many of his characters have specific viewpoints. Um, You know, there there is a guy who is I wouldn't necessarily say alarmist, but is definitely um, fatalistic about his environmentalism. But then you also have uh, a character who is uh, a Christian, a Christian minister, and he uh, has very specific viewpoints that he winds up and he winds up getting into a bit of a debate about them, uh, which he finds invigorating, which I think is great. Um, and then you have another minister played by, uh, Cedric, the entertainer, uh, Cedric Kyles, pardon me.
1: Um, he did not go to the Lady Gaga. uh, That's right. Yeah. The Dwayne Johnson.
0: I think he realized like, well, this movie isn't traditionally entertaining the way that (laughs) I define the word. Um, but, uh, and so you have another minister who also you know uh, puts his opinion out there that 's something that 's really interesting about this film is you have a lot of philosophical discussions more than i 'm used to with uh, paul schrader but but it fits with his larger uh, his larger catalog because In this case, the philosophies are so vital to these characters, who they are, how they identify themselves. And as such, uh, to his credit, he does not feel the need to... Or I I could see him fighting an instinct to simplify. Um, I think he probably feels tremendous sympathy and probably even empathy for the environmentalist. Um, And I think he feels both for the Ethan Hawke character... And I was totally ready. Um, and if it were a lesser filmmaker, I think he would have had nothing but condemnation for the Cedric Kyle's character. Uh, Mm. but I think he actually gives him some good points, uh, in the film. And I think you see him as a full fledged human being who, yes, he is a, you know, he's a spiritual leader. And so he needs to think, but he is also, he also runs a business and he has to organize things. It's one of the things that historically has always bothered me about the church or the Protestant church at least is that the pastor has to be good at so many things. Hmm. And I remember the church that I went to in Chicago, um, they were going to do like a re, a rezoning, like a rebuilding, uh, campaign, uh, because they owned like four buildings in a row but none of them were connected so they're going to re- reconstruct so that the buildings were all connected um and that they could have uh facilities that would serve like the homeless uh community of that neighborhood and so you know a good uh definitely something i was on board with um and they brought in a guy who was Whose official title was like assistant pastor because he had done projects like this before mm-hmm. and he could get it done and get it done fairly inexpensively while still doing what needed to be done. But because he had pastor in his name, he occasionally had to go and preach. And I think he w- and he was the nicest guy in the world, but I think he'd be the first one to say he's not a natural preacher, mm-hmm. you know? And in the same way, there are some, there are some uh, pastors that are great at preaching but they're not great at at administrative things but they have to do both sorry that was a long that was a long uh diatribe
1: but But i think i would have thought about
0: but but it absolutely fits with the cedric kyle's character and i think he realized like this guy has a lot more on his plate than ethan hawk does have uh, has on his and so he's gonna take a lot of other things into consideration um and so I, I like that it feels like he did the proper research into the viewpoints, into the lifestyles, and in doing so, did everything he could to reveal character through these philosophical discussions. Um, you know, when when I was... My my supporting actor uh, is not Philip Edinger, who plays the young environmentalist, uh, but it could have been, because he is so wonderful uh, in in delivering just these... L- he the, the care this character especially is written as a man completely obsessed and utterly emotionally decimated by the things that he believes uh are happening and and so that's the thing is it's it's not a situation where the philosophical arguments exist in in kind of a vacuum either they are colored in the writing by the person saying them and mm. I just, I, it is a marvelous screenplay, one that is incredibly thought through. I know a lot of people feel like the ending is just kind of comes out of nowhere, but I feel like from a character arc standpoint, I think it fits wonderfully. Um, and yeah, it's just a a marvelous script. It'd be awesome if he was nominated for an Oscar. He could be, he might not be, but, uh, it, it's well-deserved in my opinion.
1: Uh, and I'm going to talk about an adapted screenplay, although I'm just talking about, I like the screenplay. I have not read the source material. Okay. This isn't a comment on the adaptation itself, yeah, that's um, fine. which I understand is very liberal from um, the people who have um, read the, the source material, but I chose uh, Annihilation by Alex Garland. All right. Which that was close for me. Um, okay, good. Um, I feel like it's hacky to say, to praise something by saying it's like poetry, but in this case, the way that Annihilation has multiple allegories going on or multiple th- threads going on and you could make an argument that one is a metaphor for the other or the other way around yeah. or they're all sort of cycling metaphors all all together. It's all just one complete no matter how, what angle you look at it from. It's a it's a complete piece Um that feels like great poetry to me, or at least what I know. About it. I don't know that much about poetry. But that it, it feels it feels it porn. rhymes. Um, yeah, it also right? rhymes. Um, it's my <laughs> um <laughs> That is among the dumbest jokes you've ever <laughs> said on this show. Um, but uh, I think there's a there's a really strong argument to be made that the entire movie is a metaphor for the end of a romantic relationship mm-hmm. and, a, and a, a marriage falling apart. Um, or there's an argument to make that the relationship between Natalie Portman's character and Oscar Asa- Asa- Isaac's character, um, is a metaphor for the end of humanity as we know it. Yeah. And of course the, the, the shimmer uh, plays into both things and the way that things, um, change and yet live on in different forms um, is it it, it it could be any one of these things it's all mm-hmm. of them and i i just also want to um in terms of in terms of just commitment to its ideas i feel like i'm gonna name some movies and i because i read my review and i went back uh, movies on a tv show that i liked that i think pale in comparison okay. at least in terms of commitment <clears throat> cloud atlas i love this movie uh, has uh, the screenplay. I think has more Boston Cloud Atlas. Mm-hmm. True Detective season one has a lot of the sim- similar stuff here. This one has more commitment. And then you mentioned uh, well on the movies you only mentioned Split. I think there are some there are some thematic things in in Split about the idea that um, the your worst enemy is inside of you which actually the more you are aware of that the less it becomes your enemy right um, the more you su- sort of surrender to your own faults again annihilation because the mo- name of the movie is annihilation it literally is about the end of mankind mm-hmm. as we know it
0: that's um, those and, words uh, are the crux of the of the
1: matter as we know it exactly I, I think and, and uh, again I'm going I'm to paraphrase my own review of of the movie but we have a human's tend to be so exceptionalistic about ourselves yeah. um, that we tend to think of, you know, when we say save the planet, we yeah. mean save ourselves. Yeah. You know, we tend to think of the end of the <laughs> world, meaning the end of humanity, but things are going to go on and the laws of physics or whatever. Say that even the things that make us up physically are going to go on. Yeah. You know, there's, it, it, it's a kind of death. Um, the, the end of humanity will be a kind of death, but it's not actually the end of things. Things right. are going to keep going and we need to maybe come to terms with that at some point. No. And, uh, annihilation is a movie that I find, you know, when my, when I, when I, when I, when I saw it, my wife asked me cause she wanted to see it. She was like, is it scary? Which it turns out apparently I should have said yes, because wife found it very scary. But I thought I was like,
0: I feel like it's so beautiful. I have a hard time saying yeah. it's scary, but it is quite scary but at times.
1: But I feel like it's it's existentially scary. Sure. Because it, it forces you to confront things um, like, you know, the no longer existence of humanity. Uh, um, and the uh, occasional bear monster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> the bear monster is actually pretty scary. Yeah. Um, But then my wife found things to be scary that I actually found to be quite beautiful. Um, I don't want to give any spoilers because I know not everyone's seen it. But um, the I wouldn't even want to say resolution because Tessa Thompson's character just sort of like, yeah, peters out of the movie. And my wife found that horrifying. And I actually thought it was kind of beautiful. It's well, and that's (laughs) that's the wonderful thing about how Alex Garland
0: writes these characters is each character has their own reaction to what is happening and each reaction is itself kind of a stand in for the way we all approach mm-hmm. uh, our own mortality as individuals and maybe as the larger species. Yeah. Um, some are exhilarated by it. Some give themselves over to it. Some are resistant. Uh, it's really, it's, it's such a beautifully written script. Yeah.
1: I love it. I got to watch the movie again. All right. Uh,
0: I did just, I did just buy You can borrow my copy. Oh, all right. I believe it's also available on Hulu actually. Um, okay. Next for me, I've not put it on the shelf yet. Oh, yeah, was so cool. Um, next for me, we're going to go to, uh, supporting actor, uh, so okay this is a film that nobody talks about i'm actually going to mention it again later Uh, i don't like to repeat but uh, i couldn't help myself uh this is a movie that nobody is talking about uh and a performance within it that people are not talking about and it is uh lewis pullman in bad times at the el royale um i love this movie it's in my top 10 and it's probably going to remain there that's how high up it is um and it has a wonderful ensemble all around, um, and you've got some heavy hitters in there, like a uh, like a Jeff Bridges, um, like a John Hamm, specifically John Hamm playing a very specific type of over the top character, and so many of these characters are sort of archetypes. The one person that links them all is the the lone employee at this hotel played by lewis pullman who is who at first he plays the characters a little bit twitchy and you feel like there's something going on with this guy and then when you see some of the stuff that he's doing you feel like okay he's just a he's just a little creep is what he is but the but as more is revealed about him um the the desperation with which he presents himself uh starts to make more sense and he becomes kind of the the soul of the film and the performance to talk to actually reference what i said about bradley cooper is that the performance has to reveal itself um that's the difference between a lead and a supporting a lead the character is going on a journey mm-hmm. and usually that mean and because they're lead they have more screen time and so you can play that you can do that Sigourney Weaver thing when you're the lead when you're supporting you aren't on screen all the time and you have to fill in the blanks for yourself so that you know how to play this character uh and so for example like I said, when we first see the guy, we see that he's twitchy and we just don't trust him. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, the actor actually knows why this character is acting this way, just as the character knows. And he needs to fill in those blanks. But the difficult thing is he, he realizes, the supporting performer has to know where they fall in the script. And they can't try to over-explain things or overcompensate in their performance because their performance is part of the larger story. You're not there for them. You are there they are there for you and for the story and for the world. And I think the way he modulates his performance, uh, giving you what you need at this exact moment while still hinting uh, while still laying the groundwork for what is eventually revealed about him. Um, I think it's, it's a remarkably difficult thing to do. And his character is often very amusing and, ex- and incredibly tragic at times. And it's just, uh, the, the whole cast is great. I, I this category especially was difficult for me it was the it was him or it was going to be uh jesse Plemons in game night okay. or it was going to be chris hemsworth also in bad times at the el royale um, but i chose lewis pullman because as you said earlier we try to focus on the stuff that people aren't talking about and and as great as the entire cast is, including and especially Chris Hemsworth, playing notes that I haven't seen him play before, I think Lewis Pullman, son of Bill Pullman, um, you
1: know, I, and he looks <laughs> okay, very I, much I, like I, him. Because I, I haven't spent bad times in El Royale, so I went to his IMDb, and as soon as the picture came out, I was like, oh, that's Bill Pullman's son. Yeah, there's no question about <laughs> it. I went to it. Wikipedia and confirmed it, but yes.
0: <laughs> and, and he... Uh, because he's lesser known, I think people are less inclined to talk about him, but I think he he holds his own in the midst of these other actors all giving bigger performances and he doesn't let himself get swallowed up uh, and becomes a, an integral part of of the film and I, I it's a great performance I'm excited to see what he does in the future
1: um, do you think now I haven't seen bad times in O'Reilly? but do you think if you watched the double feature of Bad Times in O'Reilly in gringo would it time portal to 20 years ago. suddenly opened up. <laughs> uh,
0: that's, all right. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs>
1: uh, and I, I, I kind of liked Gringo, uh, to be clear. Okay. Supporting actor. I mentioned that support the girls, uh, would come up later. Didn't I? Mm-hmm. I said that right. Yes. Uh, and this is a, uh, I'm almost being cheeky by picking supporting actor because this movie is so full of great performances by women. You've got Mm -hmm. Regina Hall um, in the lead and then you've got Shana McHale and Hilly uh, Lou Richardson and um, to some extent Dylan Galulo as a pretty small part um, who are all terrific. The movie is, it's great. It's full of great performances. Um, But I do want to single out um, the thankless task set to James LeGro mm-hmm. in the movie, um, who's not actually in it very much. He really, uh, I think he, he's probably in it a little too much to qualify for our okay. uh, best performance under 15-minute uh, rule because he's, for the climax, he's sort of there, but not right. doing that much. But really, he has one real centerpiece scene. Um, he plays the guy who owns the... Uh, the movie takes place, if you don't know, at a sort of Hooters rip-off type of r- restaurant, a restaurant, as they're a- apparently actually known, um, uh, called Double Whammies, is what it's called in the movie. He's Fine. the owner. Um, <coughs> excuse me, <laughs> and uh, he also. Uh, the the movie the movie's um, opening titles are like in hand drawn neon colors okay and when his name comes up it says James the grow x o x o x o <laughs> which makes <laughs> me laugh um, but anyway uh, he has literally this one centerpiece scene where he has to pick up he's the owner Regina Hall is the manager he has to pick her up and drive her to somewhere else and they just have this long scene um, in In a car, which I read a review with Regina Hall about, and she was talking about how, unlike in a big budget movie, like James McGrew was actually driving this car, this truck with a boat on the like uh, you know on the the trailer mm. like hitched to it while having while you know doing this this big scene, and she was like he 's such a great driver um, <laughs> but that's not really the point uh The real point of the movie is that he's not he's not a good guy, really; he says things that are Um, both racially insensitive and uh, misogynistic. Um, But one of the things that is under the surface of support, the girls is a sort of uh, uh, a, a day in the sun for the sort of paycheck to paycheck struggling proletariat in a capitalist system. And we see the girls you know, at the bottom of the rung, we see Regina Hall as the manager, and then we see who, from their point of view, you know, within a capitalist system, the boss is usually the bad guy. But <laughs> your boss is your business bad guy. It's kind of comes with the role, and so you see him as the as um, as as the bad guy from their point of view, and he's willing to fill. James McGrode does a great job of filling that role, but also showing us that he's not doing great either. Like yeah. he owns this one restaurant that. Uh, a chain, a restaurant chain that I forget what the, I forget what the name is. that they make I appreciate up.
0: you sticking with the terminology. <laughs>
1: Apparently, that's what it's called. Um, is like opening up down like the the highway, like a, a couple exits on the highway, and he's like really worried about yeah. y- you know about going out of business. Um, and I think that's one of the one of the wiser things um, the movie does. And again, the movie is not an anti capitalist polemic. It's right. it probably more effective. <laughs> in uh, the way that it is so uh, humanistic in character-based and drama-based um, and gets across the struggle uh, even more by making these people real people. But um, the one of the sort of subtle points of the movie is that even your boss has a boss. And like yeah. the way that this whole system works is that it keeps going up and shit keeps running, <laughs> rolling uh, downhill, as the saying goes. Um, and so... Uh, Again, James LeGro is set a pretty thankless task because he's playing not a good guy with not a lot of screen time, uh, but he also makes you feel appropriately sorry for him while also recognizing that he's a jerk.
0: Well, and th- that's <laughs> that's very interesting. Um, I remember when I uh, when I worked at Little Caesars uh, back before the company came up with their ready right now uh, idea. And so you it was back. It was failing <laughs> uh, the. The. In fact, I worked there around the time that they started it, and I noticed I was only there for five months. So about three months in, they started this new "Ready Right Now" thing, and our sales like shot up. Like it was a brilliant. Well, was move. it
1: actually called "Ready Right Now" at the time? because the it's time, not yeah. Ready Now.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was. It was Ready Right Now, and we had a guy with a with a board. Uh, thankfully, it was never me because I was the assistant manager, um, and he would stand by the road at five p.m. when people were coming home from work and hold that sign. And people would come in, and sure enough, we had stuff, and it was crazy. But uh, what's interesting is that so I had so I was the assistant manager. Um, I had a manager, and then there was the owner of this franchise, and he's a guy that it's so it's so perfect the way you say it, that he's always there, but he's not really there, uh-huh. you know. And so like the man the the owner would like come in and out, and he wasn't. He was a super nice guy, and you know he 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 didn't need to make the the decisions he didn't need to be actively involved he would talk with one person the manager and then make you know make small talk with us but it's clear like he doesn't when you have a buffer which in this case was the manager he you don't really need to talk with with the the lower employees and just the so it makes sense that the guy who runs the place but doesn't act, the guy who who owns the place but doesn't really run the place is, a, is there without ever actually really being present. Uh, that yeah, makes yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of sense to me.
1: Um, yeah. Do you know? Real quick, uh, I learned some Little Caesars trivia recently. Okay. In Canada, Little Caesars commercials, the Little Caesar guy says hot and ready instead of pizza pizza because there is a Canadian pizza chain called Pizza Pizza. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. And well, and that's
0: the thing is, there was a time when I was a kid and Little Caesars was known for you could get essentially two pizzas for the price of one. That's oh, okay. why he would say pizza pizza. Cause you're getting two of them. Yeah. Uh, that went away, but he stuck with it.
1: Um, I realized as soon as I told that story where I heard it, it was from Tom Charlton, the best show. Got Cause it. his example was, it'd be like if every, if every McDonald's commercial ended with a Burger King.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Um, okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, along with you, um, uh, uh, getting over being sick, I have this. The last thing to go for me is my, is a cough, and so I'm still coughing, unfortunately. But um, okay. okay, we're gonna jump to director. Okay, now uh, mine is a film that I really uh, adore, and it kind of took me by surprise. And it is uh, Corey Finley's Thoroughbreds. Oh yeah, I like uh, this. which I'm actually gonna mention again in a couple categories. Um, oh wow! But uh, like I said, I'm going to be repeating myself a couple, uh, a couple times here. I'm, I'm not proud of it, but here we are. Well, you don't really watch movies anymore. That's true. <laughs> I can talk a lot about old seasons of the amazing race if you want. Um, no, David, don't you understand? I'm too busy planning curriculum, talking about movies to see movies. Right. Ugh, I feel like that's going to bite me eventually. Did you say curricula? Uh, I believe I said curriculum, but I probably should have said curriculum. Because if it's plural, that's curricula. Right. Right? I say curricula. <laughs> uh, i'm joking that i don't say that i'm not a monster um yeah uh thoroughbreds say uh, you're very
1: particular about your curricula why
0: don't you get out of my house (laughs) i'll finish the rest of the episode um and just leave the computer so uh yeah uh you so you've seen thoroughbreds oh yeah um i love the film on a number of levels but what i like is that we are dealing with the film reminds me in a lot of ways, uh, of American psycho, uh, directorially because it is about people that are extremely careful and are extremely distanced, uh, from their actions and from their lives. Uh, that's a big theme of the film. And so, uh, the, the film itself, uh, the way it's shot, the way it's edited, it has, it's so deliberate at all times because these are characters that don't really do things haphazardly. Even if what they're doing is monstrous, it is planned out. Uh, and it's so meticulous. And so the film is shot that way, uh, as well. And it requires a great deal of restraint, uh, on the part of the director to not overplay, uh, certain hands and just to, because we're dealing with uh, characters that are literal sociopaths. And so doing something terrible is not going to feel that different than doing something great. Um, And so the film takes that attitude and it, and it feels like, it feels like a film made by a sociopath or by a robot, somebody who does not empathize with anybody, but doesn't hate them either. Mm -hmm. It is just standing at a distance observing at all times. uh, And, to keep that tone knowing full well that it's probably going to put off a number of your viewers um, because we want to be brought in. We want to be engaged. uh, But, that is not what he's interested in he's interested in bringing us into the minds of these people which is not a super pleasant or emotional place to be and i i just think it's it's a, a real uh, achievement it's not a huge film it's not a movie that people talk very much about but that doesn't mean that he did not make some very good yeah. uh directorial and consistent directorial decisions
1: And my pick for director, uh, I had to get this movie in there somewhere, Uh, Josephine Decker for Madeline's Madeline. Okay. Uh, For a number of reasons. Um, Definitely uh, for, like you were saying, with Corey Finley, sort of um, uh, the consistent control of of tone and atmosphere. Um, But also I think for, I mean, maybe Helena Howard is uh the next big thing i mean she's certainly terrific but whenever someone is in their first role and gives literally their first role on screen ever and gives an amazing performance Mm -hmm. um i i kind of (laughs) want to you know hat tip the director oh sure it's the same with um american honey uh and Andrea arnold and now i'm (coughs) forgetting uh the actress's name for american honey but uh um, that's also one of the greatest movies of the past decade or so, um, uh, and also, and it's it's other it, it's. A, so I think both things that that control of tone and and getting a great performance from a, a first time actor speak to her uh, complete confidence. At least what comes across is complete confidence. Um, I hope I, I imagine most artists who are actually completely confident are probably not very good. <laughs> I feel like self doubt is probably uh, a good thing, but to come across with a, with a boldness uh, in those ways, as well as in a couple ways that I haven't mentioned or that we mentioned actually, when we talked with Scott uh, last week, cause he likes this movie a lot too. Um, the opening sequence, um, which is a real commitment to um, the, you know, a a movie that is eventually has a story and a character, but it's like a full five minutes of just not knowing what the fuck is going on. It's a great, a great choice. Um, and also, you know, I, uh, uh, to go back to the acting thing, you you know, directors now we think of, you know, the, the auteur theory has sort of become a self-fulfilling prophecy, Mm -hmm. you know, but you know, going back to sort of the, the 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 old like Hollywood studio system, you know, yep. the director's job was to get the performances out of the actors, you mm-hmm. know, and so I always want when I think about this category, I always want to think about um, about performances. About so I, I used on the one uh, hand, I used the example of Helen Howard, not a, a first time actor giving a great performance, but also Miranda July. I made the joke last week about. Casting Miranda, Miranda July as the most down-to-earth character no. in the movie. Uh, and it was a joke, but also it's a <coughs> fantastic choice. Fantastic casting choice. Um, I guess against type, assuming that the type of people who go to see Madeline's Madeline know who Miranda July is. Right. They probably do. Um, and uh, it's uh, it, it's it, it's an incredibly uh, terrific performance. I would put it up there with... Uh, um, with Sheila Vand in terms of, uh, supporting, uh, actors' performances, uh, of single mothers or mm-hmm. sometimes single mothers and we, the animals, uh, case. But, um, uh, yeah, for these reasons and so many others that are, um, I attempted to elucidate in my review back at Sundance, uh, Josephine Decker.
0: All right. So, uh, every time we do one of these, I, I, I have one free space uh, where. Oh, you didn't want to save the free
1: space for last. No, you're saving actress for last. Yes.
0: All right. I don't know. I just. Hey, I, said you were driving uh, the shit I like to I I shake things up. It was
1: intentional. Yeah.
0: Um. So uh. So yeah, this is one where I picked whatever category I wanted. You picked whatever category you wanted. Uh, so for me, I'm gonna bring up bad times at the el royale again i'm going to talk about specifically the art direction um you know uh i forget i think you mentioned this with with cinematography and it's certainly something that we've talked about with editing uh when it comes to the stuff that gets recognition it's usually there's best and there's
1: most and a lot of people mix the two up um, and so, and, I mean, sometimes the movie caught like the favorite calls for absolutely. Yes. Uh, yeah. Big uh, production and costume.
0: And that's, and that's one where there's a lot going on. It requires that level of production design and it is rightfully praised. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, the unfortunate byproduct of that justifiable praise is that anything that is that attempts that uh, people say like, oh, wow, that's really something. But if if something is not trying like you were talking about with the cinematography of eighth grade, people aren't going to think about that. That's it's not in it's not in contention. Uh, It's not being considered right now for that because it's not a big movie. And I will say that I think that Bad Times at the El Royale, I mean, it's incredibly stylized. It's a period film, but also the nature of the El Royale uh, hotel um, is that half of it is in Nevada and half is in California. And as such, the, the hotel itself has you know the the designers of it in the film have played into that, so they mm-hmm. they try to have the California side look one way and the Nevada side look another way, um, and so and the film also takes it, it takes place in a kind of more heightened reality, and so this looks like the essence of a dive, but it's a dive that used to be nice. And so it looks, so even for a period film, like it takes place in the, in the, I think late sixties, early seventies, but it's designed like the late fifties, you know? Right. Um, And it hasn't been totally kept up at all times. And so it's, I mean, you, I, I hate when people say that, Oh, the place is like another character. It's not that, but it is absolutely vital to everything. The characters are doing. They are Mm -hmm. constantly interacting, not only with each other, but with the hotel itself, there is a, a a character who is, who is aware that there is a big bag of money hidden under the floorboards of one of the rooms. So he needs to directly interact with the hotel itself. Mm. Um, and that happens throughout, um, the, the, it has such a sense of place um that they that the director drew goddard like needed to put you know you needed to put as much thought into every place that that uh they're going to occupy it reminds me in many ways it reminds me of a play you know when you i mean you and i have both done theater and hey, you probably only have one set up there on stage, mm-hmm. maybe two at best if you can do a, cha- a change in between acts. Um, so it ne- everything there needs to be there for a reason because you only have so much stage space. Uh, and it feels like that where uh, it's like, okay, there are booths over here and so the characters are going to sit over there partially because the characters themselves realize that nobody else is around so we can kind of do what we want and go where we want. So let's go sit over here. No one's going to stop us. Uh, and so it, it's just, it feels lived in, but also, uh, also a little bit fantastical at, at, times. Um, it would be very easy for a movie like this. I've seen this before. It'd be very easy for a movie like this to, um, to have everything feel so precious uh, where the art direction is just so precious that you feel like no one has ever touched it. Uh, But that is not the nature of this, of this film. And I think it's shot really well. I think the lighting is beautiful, but the set itself, each individual room, the lobby, the parking lot, everything uh, had to be just right. And, 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 really set the tone because everything takes place there uh it really had to set the tone for the film like we needed to get a sense we needed to get a sense of the of the 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 tone of the film before any character actually opens their mouth and the art direction is is how that happens and it's a really really great achievement
1: um mine real quick actually you mentioned louis pullman plays the only employee well he's the only employee on duty so does that mean the Nevada half doesn't have, like, blackjack dealers or doesn't have a casino? Uh, I think it did at one point.
0: I think it, it might be a situation where they, like, lost their license or something okay. like that. Uh, I don't recall.
1: Just curious. Uh, or my, my uh, what do you call it, free space. My free space pick also takes place in the Southwest. Um, uh, but it's a documentary. I'm picking Bisbee 17 and I'm specifically highlighting the score okay. by Keegan DeWitt. Um, Keegan DeWitt, uh, we, uh, we, we talked, uh, much earlier, um, about the term mumblecore, core mm-hmm. and Keegan DeWitt sort of, uh, that's where he made his, uh, made his bones. Is that a thing you say? People say that, mm-hmm. um, uh, scoring early films by, oh, say our friend Aaron Katz. Oh, okay. He scored like Dance Party USA and Cold Weather. Um, and then sort of, uh, I think, uh, has has remained very much in the sort of the indie movie realm, but has moved into being uh, Alex Ross Perry's guy. He did Listen Up Philip, and he did, it hasn't come out yet, but the incredible music for Her Smell um, that'll be coming out uh, this spring, I think. But uh, Bisbee Seventeen is a documentary that is about um, in 2017 in the town of Bisbee, Arizona. There, uh, the copper miners went on strike, and uh, the <coughs> sort of powers that be, the owners of the company and the other powers that be in town, uh, rounded up the 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 strikers, most of whom were either uh, Latin American or Eastern European, um, put them on a train took them out into the middle of the desert and left them there. Um, uh, and well, that's uh, kind of a dick move. <laughs> yes. Yeah, very much. Um, and, uh, Keegan Dewitt's score, which is beautiful and haunting, but also very much of a piece with the movie incorporates things from this story. It incorporates, um, the, uh, the, um, the union, Songs there, which uh, at, at the screening at Sundance, they actually handed out uh, replicas of the Union song, song book that were handed out by mm-hmm. union organizers, so the people when they protested could know all the words to. Yeah. Basically, did the uh, Battle Hymn of the Republic, <coughs> but changed the lyrics to be about mm-hmm. worker solidarity. Um, and there were other songs, too. And so that gets incorporated into the score. And then also the thing that really sticks with me. And if you've seen the trailer is really highlighted in the trailer is there is this percussive sound, this very jarring percussive sound that I'm sure some people realize what it was earlier than I did. But it's only as the movie goes on that I realize, oh, that's the sound of a train lurching to life, you know, like, tsh, tsh, you know, like, the, oh, yeah, yeah, like uh, and that comes up a lot on on this on the soundtrack it's a really uh you know it is um we talked a lot about some of the technical aspects of a movie being best when they're invisible this is the opposite this is very much not an invisible. it does not fade into the background at all um but it's not designed to it's a um uh, really, really unconventional, but, uh, really, I feel like I've described half of these things as effective, but it's a really effective score by King and DeWitt. And given what he also did with her smell, I feel like this guy is one to keep an eye on. It has, has been for a while, but I feel like as he moves more and more into movies that people might hear about, <laughs> you yeah. know, as opposed to, uh, dance party USA, which, uh, in cold water, which is, weather, which is great too. Um, uh what yeah one to watch okay all right last is lead actress uh
0: once again as you uh pointed out and it's going to keep me from uh, getting any sleep tonight i don't see very many movies anymore
1: well you know you can do uh, when you're not sleeping uh, tonight
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know what here's here's my plan once you leave i'm gonna take my laptop and one of the textbooks that I'm going to be teaching from, I'm going to go to Denny's and I'm going to go through the textbook and build my, and finalize my syllabus. That's my plan for tonight. Yeah. Cause I'm starting this class on uh, uh international cinema next week. Yeah. So
1: see, that's perfectly, is that acceptable? Yeah. But All it's right. like, you know, um, you know, like rewatching old seasons of, uh, I can't remember what it was that you were watching. Amazing Race? Uh, no, there was something last week that I was... Uh, I can't remember what oh, it I watched, was. Oh, I I rewatched season five of Silicon Valley. <laughs> that's what it yeah. was. Yeah. So. <laughs> you the, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but hey, I haven't seen Battle Buster, Buster Scruggs, so who am I? That's true. Uh,
0: an asshole is who you are. That's true. But, okay. But yeah, so I am going to be uh, bringing up uh, another film. Uh, once again, Thoroughbreds. Now, there are two lead actress performances here, and as much as I do really enjoy the work of uh, Anya Taylor Joy, I do think that Olivia Cook uh, is doing it, it has the harder job. They're both very hard, they're very hard types of characters. The dying girl. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. I, I didn't see it. Yeah, you shouldn't. Uh, I, uh, that was your like least favorite movie, or maybe most overrated that year. I don't remember.
1: It was one of those. Yeah, but uh, um, uh, Elizabeth Cook and uh, Thomas Mann, Thomas Mann, who's great in Land of Steady Habits. Yeah, and another movie that came out uh, uh, called Maine, that a uh, uh, indie movie. Yeah, he a great people in. Me and Earl and the dining, Dying Girl. Oh, and Olivia Cook is also... Oh, my
0: gosh. So I saw Thoroughbreds, and then not long after, really maybe only a week or two after I saw her in Ready Player One, and oh, I seen that. her performance is fine, but it just, it's... I don't... Th- I mean, as you mentioned, you know, with me, Earl and, Di- me, Earl and the Dying Girl, is that, like, it's independent film doesn't automatic isn't automatically better than mainstream film uh you know any more than a foreign film is is automatically better than an american film uh the film itself has to be good Mm -hmm. um but when you watch thoroughbreds and then you watch the same actress in ready player one and you see what she is required to do in one Uh versus the other you realize wow okay this is this is a very clear difference of what of what the there's very clear illustration of what the difference between independent and mainstream can be certainly from an acting standpoint because she does perfectly fine work in, in ready player one, but then you can see the full potential, uh, in something like thoroughbreds. So she plays a character that is a, a genuine diagnosed sociopath. And that has to be so difficult because You're not a robot. Hmm. You still have inflection in your voice. You still understand the concept of emotions. You just... And you still understand what people want from you. And you're able to kind of fake it. But... Like... An actor playing a character giving a performance has to be so difficult to do. Because... If you're not careful, then you're just giving the performance. No, no, no. You have to tell. So this there's a character who she's a sociopath, so she has to fake these emotions to get people on her side. But we need to know that she's faking. But if she makes it too clear, then you, you wonder why the other people believe her. Um, and so it's it's right. it is uh, so much of what I talk about when I talk about great acting is it could go too far if it it went too far in this direction you wouldn't believe it if you go too far in this direction you don't believe it it has to be right in the middle and playing a a character who feels (coughs) excuse me feels no real empathy and uh, but she kind of wants to but you but even she doesn't understand do I actually want to or do I want to because people want me to and do I care that much about people? It is this, co- I mean, it, it honestly feels miserable. Like I, I look at that and I think to be this type of sociopath, as strange as it may sound, we, t- we use the term hmm. usually as a way to insult people, uh, in the, is like, I like, oh, that guy's just a sociopath. Like think about what that might actually mean. You know, uh, because I guarantee that the number, uh, uh, the number of people called sociopath is probably a lot higher than actual sociopaths. Um, and it reminds me of, you know, you hear stories about people who for some reason, like the part of their brain that registers pain doesn't work. And we feel like, oh my gosh, so you never feel pain. It's like, no, no, no. Pain is a vital part of living just as emotional pain can be a vital part of living. And not many of us are saying that we wish we had no emotions, but The difficulty of navigating life without these barometers, uh, seems genuinely hellish. And she seems like a character who would be miserable if she knew what misery was, if she understood how to process misery. And so she has to be aloof. And that often comes across as actually kind of amusing because it's so rare to, to encounter that. And so thoroughbreds is a very dark comedy at times, but one where I feel so bad for these, for this character while also recognizing that I'm only going back to Corey Finley, I'm only going to be allowed to feel so much because the film does not feel much. And her performance is just like, she could have played it. She could have just played it robotic, Um, yep. and she doesn't. She plays it as some as an actual living, flesh and blood person who does not experience emotion the same way we do.
1: But also, like you said, funny. Also has, very funny. She has maybe the funniest line to me in the movie when she says to Anya Taylor Joy empathy is not exactly your strong suit, which is yeah. in context. It's funny on its own, but yeah. coming from her, it's hilarious. Yeah,
0: it's, it's a, and, and I, I feel bad because it's a, it's a two-hander to use a, a term that I think you introduced me to. Um, uh, and I, and I feel bad, like, because Anya Taylor Joy is also doing great work, but the that type of character is a little bit more recognizable yeah. to us.
1: And Anton Yelchin's great, and oh, uh, Paul Paul Banks is that his name? Is, is that, that his name? The, he's the the stepfather. Yeah,
0: yeah, he's great too. Um, yeah, Anton Yelchin is really good in the movie. It's uh, I, I still am. I would like to do an episode someday about like the people that we like the the performers and artists that we've lost in our lifetime who've like died like before their time. Right. Uh Paul Sparks not Bins. Paul Sparks, yeah. yeah. Um <laughs> and and Anton yeah. Yelchin would be up there. Like he really if he had lived longer and if he'd lived to be, you know, 80, I think he would have really as an adult gotten some great roles like some yeah. like Oscar-worthy like game-changing roles, but that was not in the cards, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We were both, you and I are both big fans of his, uh, uh, small role in experimenter. Oh, marvelous. Yeah. All right. Um, I guess I'll wrap up then with, uh, my best actress pick is Catherine Hahn for private life. Hmm. Uh, and Catherine Hahn is an actress that I knew mostly from comedy and private life is a comedy. Um, uh, and, um, Unlike, because she'd also been in, like, she was in, um, I always forget the name of it, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, not Titanic, the same Mendes movie. Revolutionary Road? Revolutionary Road. Not Reservation Road, which is a Mark Ruffalo movie, right? Yes. I didn't see that one. I saw Revolutionary Road. She's the neighbor in right. that. She's not really allowed to be funny at all in that. Yeah. Private Life is... Um, the, the most realistic I've ever seen her, uh, uh, get to play a character. And she, um, rises to the occasion, uh, to the occasion flawlessly. Um, this is again, much like I said with, with the Beale street could talk, you could pick either one as the lead. Um, this is really Catherine Hahn and Paul Giamatti are, uh, Giamatti are the, are the lead, the co-leads, but the, uh, the category here is actress. So I picked her, her uh, actress, um, but uh both of them are 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 really terrific in the way that and there, a lot of this goes to the screenplay as well um illustrating the way that people who two people who truly love each other can still be in small but mounting ways cruel to one another when something's wrong in their relationship yeah. when there's something causing unhappiness in this case it's uh their ongoing struggles to conceive um and uh he um it comes it, with paul Giamatti, it, come, it, it with his character it comes for out in ways of him sort of often demeaning or belittling her um or maybe condescending to her is, the, is a better term um, whereas with her, it comes out in ways of, in ways that are sometimes funny, but also in Paul G. his shoes, you're like, Jesus kind of mildly, uh, half knowingly, but knowingly like embarrassing him in public. Hmm. Um, cause it, that's the thing <coughs> when you, when you're with someone, you can hurt them because you know what will hurt them. Oh yeah. You know, uh, and oh. she knows how to say just the right thing that like sounds like a joke, but also, maybe uh is she maybe blaming him for their problems? you know it's yeah. it's really on uh on the line, and yet with both of them, but uh we're talking about her, so I keep talking about both of them, but they're both great um we never lose sympathy for her. we yeah. we're, the the characters are so fully realized in in her in particular um that uh uh we even when they're mean to one another, we still uh, see both sides mm. and, and we empathize uh, with them. And then she has sort of a further journey to go on. She's she gets the closest to a uh, sort of Oscar clip type of okay. scene um, uh, because, you know, the pre- you haven't seen it, right? But, you know, the premise yes. of the movie. So they end up going with a donor egg, which mm-hmm. means if they do have a child, they're able to do it it won't biologically be right. her child. And right. that, um, the movie does not, uh, I'm getting emotional. Just thinking about it. The, the, the movie doesn't paper over how big a thing, a big a hurdle that is, how big a hurdle that is for her to clear that she and her husband are going to have a kid, but biologically it'll be her husband's and this other yeah. woman's. Um, and, uh, she gets some really, really raw stuff and yet still funny, which is, to her credit and Tamara Jenkins credit as a writer um, in in that it's a it's a really great movie um, and it is hung around uh, in my it was the I think the second movie I saw at Sundance uh, in 2018. So it's hung around in my top 10 mm-hmm. for almost the entire. Oh, wow. Uh, entire year. So we'll see if it stays there. I still have some stuff to catch up on Yeah, um, But yeah, uh, private life is great. Catherine Hunt's great. All right. <laughs> so that's it. That's it. Yes. Um, you can find us at battleshippretention.com. Uh, you can email us at David, at battleship or Tyler, at battleship com. You can follow me, David on Twitter at DavyPretention. pretension, uh, Davey with an EY. I never say that. Uh, Tyler is at Tyler pretension. His other po- other podcast is called more than one lesson
0: which has been on hiatus for a while and probably will be a little bit longer, but there is still stuff to do at more than one lesson. There are other yeah. podcasts that are part of the, uh, the MTOL podcasting faculty. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and they're getting, <laughs> they're getting real nerdy over there. Uh, you know, uh, fear of God is just about horror. That's, you know, to be expected, but two geek soup like they told me early on that they're gonna embrace everything geeky not just movies and they're doing it and hats off to them because like they're talking about like a a book series that i've not heard of but has it has a very small but loyal uh uh, group of fans and so like hey uh more power to you
1: they're gonna outpace us any day oh undoubtedly um and uh yeah thanks for listening